and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, let's turn to God's word this morning and, um, and spend some time uh, thinking about what it has to say to us. Um, you know, behind the screen today is a work of art um, made by one of our longtime members, John Kern. And uh, John is not able to be with us regularly due to his Parkinson's condition, but I want to thank you again, John. John's uh, watching my live stream today uh, for making this work of art with us, um, for us. I wanted to show all of you um, the, the actual creation, which is behind the screen, but um, it would create kind of a, of a technological uh, hardship with our live stream broadcast and having to raise the screen and lower the screen and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when the screen is up, I hope that you will take the opportunity just to walk up there and take a a more careful uh, look at it. Um, It it depicts the manger or the cradle of Jesus, and behind it is the cross. And I like it very much because it brings together uh, Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. And I also like it because it's a great introduction to my message today. Um, You see, until and unless you acknowledge fully the cross of Christ, you can't really know the full significance of the cradle of Christ. And um, if you're not careful, you can miss out on really the deepest meaning of Christmas pretty easily. It's like the man who attended a worship service during the Christmas season, and the speaker that day explained how the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection were the fulfillment of what happened on Christmas. And the man who was visiting was displeased. And so he found the speaker after uh, the service, and he said to him, he said, you know, when I come to church at Christmas time." I don't want to hear about the death of Jesus. I want to hear something glad, something cheerful. Well, it's possible to so misunderstand and romanticize the Christmas story that it becomes little more than just sort of a pleasant fable featuring, you know, a big star and exotic wise men bearing gifts and scruffy shepherds mingling uh, with angels And unless you appreciate what happened on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, you'll never fully understand the significance of Christmas Day. Canticles of the Christ Child, that's uh, the title of this year's Advent messages. And uh, we've been reflecting together on four poems that are found in Luke chapters 1 and 2, probably set to music, probably sung by the earliest Christians some 2,000 years ago. And these four poems were uh, eventually given Latin titles or names. 
And so we've considered uh, this Advent season the Magnificat, Latin for magnify, and attributed to Jesus' mother, Mary. And then uh, the Benedictus, Latin for blessed, and uh, assigned to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And last week, we worked our way through the glory and excelsis, meaning glory in the highest, which was the proclamation to the angels, uh, from the angels to the shepherds on that, on that first Christmas night. So today, I want us to consider uh, the nunc dimittis. This is the last canticle, which is a Latin phrase that can be translated literally as, now thou let depart. Now thou let depart. And it's in reference to a statement in the poem, and we'll see it in just a moment, about being ready to die, to depart, to, to be dismissed from this life. And it's attributed to a man by the name of Simeon. Well, who was Simeon? Well, eight days after Jesus' birth, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem for the rite of circumcision. And that's where they encountered Simeon, who is mentioned only here in, in the Bible. And he was described as a godly man, full of the Holy Spirit. And God had revealed to Simeon uh, that uh, at some point in his life, and before he died, that he would actually see with his own two physical eyes the person through whom God would offer salvation to the entire world. And when Simeon saw the baby Jesus that day, the Holy Spirit filled him with the understanding of what this little person would mean to the world when he grew up. And so uh, I want you to get your Bible out. I'm going to read the Nunc Dimittis when you have it today and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read the Nunc Dimittis, but we're also going to read a few of the verses before it so that uh, we just get a little better idea of the context of this canticle. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. Let's, let's uh, look at God's word together. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and from now on is what we refer to as the nunc dimittis, Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, the Nunc Dimittis the, the isn't a long poem by any means, but 
its words reveal a great deal. And, and I can see, I can find at least three important truths that emerge for me uh, from Simeon's words. Here's, here's the first one. The message of salvation is very wide. The message of salvation is very wide. If You know, if there is one clear and consistent message from the very front of the Bible all the way to its end, it's this. Human beings need help. And, um, you know, educating people is great. Providing economic opportunity to one and all is good. Giving people access to adequate health care from cradle to grave, wonderful. It, uh, teaching people to treat each other and themselves with respect and kindness, well and good. But after all is said and done, we all need th these massive amounts of help that really only God can provide. But odd as it may seem, we human beings um, make a habit of trying almost everything and everyone else before turning to God for his assistance. And, and the Bible uh, paints a stark but, but a realistic picture of what happens when we human beings ignore or refuse God's help. Without God, you're spiritually lost. Without God, you have no real hope. Without God, your destiny is only despair, ultimately. Well, that sounds grim, but you see, the, the Bible makes the, these alternatives and outcomes painfully clear for one gracious reason to get you and me and everybody else pointed toward the only one who can ever truly save or help us in all of the different ways that we as human beings need to be helped, and that's God himself. Well, observe again what Simeon said to God as he looked down on eight-day-old Jesus. Simeon said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. So Simeon knew that through Jesus, God would provide salvation, help, not just to the Jewish people, but also to everyone around the world as well. And yes, the nation of Israel could and should take justifiable pride in the fact that, that God's salvation came through someone of their ethnicity. Sure. But this wonderful news is meant for everyone here, and it's also meant for everyone not here, too. The good news about Jesus, the message of Jesus, is just as true for Afghans as it is for Americans, for Bulgarians just as much as Brazilians, for Canadians just as much as the Chinese. The message of salvation, God's help, is offered to every kind of person from every country, every nation, every culture, every background that exists on the planet. It's for rich people and poor people. It's for middle-class folk and lower-class ones, too. God's help is for the educated and those who are illiterate. It's for men, women, boys, and girls. No one is excluded. No one is left out from receiving the message of salvation. 
very wide. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that every person will respond to God's gracious offer to help or that everyone will be in heaven for eternity. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that many will never receive from Jesus the salvation that he offers. Nevertheless, the offer is made and the message is proclaimed to every kind of person who has lived, is living, and whoever will live. The message of salvation is very wide. And for that very reason, Jesus told his first followers this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and that command by Jesus needs to be obeyed by you and me just as much as by the original audience who heard those words from Jesus himself. Now, how many of you here today are glad that the message of salvation is very wide? Well, I know I am. Um, there, there's no person who's beyond God's ability to love, forgive, save by his grace. Not even you, not even me. No one's just too far gone for God. And by implication, there's no place where the good news is inappropriate to share. In fact, the message about Jesus needs to be proclaimed to every person in every family, in every culture, and to every nation the world over. I like the story about a follower of Jesus who was working in the stables of a horse track of all places, and he certainly grasped this all-important truth. And so he got into a conversation with one of the jockeys at the track about all of us needing salvation through Jesus, and, and the jockey was taken aback. He objected. He said, come on, there's, this is no place to talk about religion, so let's put an end to that. But the other man said, oh, no, that's not the end of that at all. It's only the beginning. After all, Christianity began in a stable. Jesus was born in a stable, and you, my friend, can be born again in one. Good point. There's no place that's where God needs to be absent or is absent. I want you to do something with me just now. Close your eyes for just a moment. Would you do that? And I want you to picture in your mind three people you know who haven't yet received salvation from Jesus. Might be a relative, friend, neighbor. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing four people right now in my mind's eye. Can you see those three or four people in your mind's eye? Okay, go ahead. You can open your eyes uh, again. But, but let me just ask all of us a few questions. Do you, those people that the Holy Spirit brought to your mind, um, you ever pray for them? Do you... Um, do you ever take any initiative to build a relationship with them? 
are, do you ever ask God for the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with them? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to make you feel guilty, but I do want to remind you and me that God's message is as wide as his unlimited love. And let's remember that he uses just ordinary people like you and me to communicate that message to those who haven't received it yet. That's how they hear about it. They hear it through you and me, ordinary people. Spiritually lost people matter to Jesus. Jesus came as a baby for spiritually lost people. And your mission and my mission revolves around reaching lost people for Jesus in some way, shape, or form. The message of salvation, thank God, is very, very wide. But just because it's wide and is offered to everyone, don't assume that therefore it's somehow shallow or superficial because here's a second truth that I find in the Nunc Dimittis. The meaning of salvation is very deep. The meaning of salvation is very deep. You see, Simeon's song is really big on hope. Uh, you need hope, real, solid, authentic hope that makes uh, life livable and wonderful. What do you hope for this morning? I mean, what, what do you long to see happen? What, what do you dream about uh, doing or having? You know, if we were completely honest with each other today, we, we'd have to admit that many of our hopes are pretty shallow. And most of the time, our hopes uh, revolve around, you know, getting the right job, buying the right home or car, maybe finding the right spouse, planning for a healthy retirement. And, you know, we all hope that our lives are going to go well, right? I mean, we hope for a comfortable lifestyle. We hope for great health for our family and for ourselves. We, we hope that we have relatively few problems as we make our way through life. And, and when I compare the stuff that I hope for with what Simeon hoped for, I feel kind of ashamed. I mean, we're told in what we read today that Simeon was waiting for something called the consolation of Israel. What was that? What, what, what's the consolation of Israel? Well, Simeon was waiting patiently for God to break into the world. He longed to see God act to do something and to be a part of it. Simeon ached to see the kingdom of God come in its full expression and all of its power. You know, I think it's likely that Simeon was an old man at this point. Have you ever noticed that the older that you get, the less many things of this world and many things in this world excite you, motivate you, interest you? You know, as, as we get older, it's easier to encounter that been there, done there, done that type of a feeling. And it wasn't that Simeon was cynical or sour about life. He just wasn't easily inspired. And having experienced much of what this life had to offer, he found himself dissatisfied with anything less and anyone else but God. Interesting. So I want to ask you, is, is God the one you long for? 
and hope for, wait for. Is knowing God and loving God more the greatest hope of your life? You say, well, why is that important? Well, because what you hope for reveals so often who you really are. So what's so great about a kind of hope that's, that's built on God and built in God? Well, for one thing, it enables you and me to persevere in life. When we have the kind of hope that Simeon did, you can accept the obvious fact that this side of heaven, you are and will always be a flawed and broken person, but that doesn't drive you to despair because your hope is in God, it's not in yourself. You can also keep on living joyfully and productively, uh, even in the face of great sorrow and loss and heartache. Why? Because whatever you've had to endure isn't the end of your story. God is at the end of your story and my story, and you know what? He's endless. Huh. So what's so great about uh, a kind of hope that's built on God and in God? Not only does it help you to persevere, it helps you to live authentically. Your, your hope is built on, on the one who died and rose again for you and who now indwells you through the Holy Spirit. The Bible even puts it like this, Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. And because of Jesus, everything, everything in your past is forgiven. Your past no longer uh, has to have power over you or me. Be because of Jesus, your present is full of his love and his grace. It it's available to, to you and me every day. And because of Jesus, your future is secure, but it it's also going to be beyond your wildest imagination in a good way. And Simeon waited many, many years to see what he saw that day in the temple in Jerusalem. What was it that sustained him? What, what kept him going? It was hope, hope built on God and hope built in God. You know, folks, we, we need to understand and accept the fact that Christmas doesn't change the fact that life can be hard and unfair. You know, all the happy Christmas movies and the sparkly tinsel and the endless parties and department store carols, they, they still can't hide the truth. Boy, some of, we, we've been seeing on the news the terrible destruction in Kentucky and some of the other places around our country. People still suffer natural disasters. People are still dying of COVID. Little kids still get cancer. People still lose their jobs. Loved ones still get seriously ill. Uh, innocent uh, people still get locked away into cycles of hunger and homelessness and poverty. Addiction still destroys people and their families. And I'm sure that everybody here today has experienced life's hardness and unfairness in some way. And guess what? If you haven't yet, you will. You will. We all do. And, and when those moments come, when you run right into life's hard, unfair experiences face first, it'll test, it will reveal the content of what you hope for and what you hope in. And when your hope is built in God and it's built on God, you will get hurt and sometimes hurt badly. But through it all, you also know that God is going to have the last word in your life. You don't know how or when or 
or what God might do, but you know that God will prevail in the end. And Simeon knew that great fact when he looked down into the face of the baby Jesus. And so can you and so can I. Christmas Eve, 1971. Prisoner of war cell in Hanoi, North Vietnam. A single light bulb reveals a group of two dozen skinny, wretched-looking men, much like those men in the picture upon the screen today. And once these same men had been superbly fit Air Force, Navy, Marine pilots and navigators, but now several of them were shivering with fever. Others were too sick to stand. Some were permanently stooped from torture by their captors. Others limped on, on makeshift crutches. Oh, there had been Christmas Eve services in previous years, staged and orchestrated for propaganda purposes. But this service, Christmas 1971, Christmas Eve, 1971 was the first time that American POWs in the Vietnam War had been allowed to have their own service. And the men who were in it, they, I mean, they were understandably nervous because at other worship services, guards had burst in, they had, had beat them up, um, had then locked them away in solitary confinement for 11 months in cells measuring three feet by five feet. The Christmas Eve service, though, in 1971 was simple enough. All they did was recite the Lord's Prayer together. Um, they sang a few Christmas carols. They heard the Christmas story read from a Bible. Some of the soldiers even managed to make some crude gifts. Um, others exchanged IOUs on little bits of paper. But it was when they started singing Silent Night together that the tears began to fall down those unshaven and unwashed faces. War couldn't, torture couldn't, imprisonment couldn't, and not even uncertainty about their own future couldn't dim the hope in the one who was born on a silent, holy night some 2,000 years ago. The meaning of salvation is very deep. The message of salvation is very wide. Well, here's a, here's a final thought suggested by the Nunc Dimittis for us today. The means of salvation is very narrow. The means of salvation is very narrow. I want you to notice carefully what Simeon said as he held eight-day-old Jesus in the temple. I have seen your salvation, which you, which you have prepared for all people. Now, it's important to understand what Simeon did not say. He didn't say, I have now seen one of the many ways people uh, can receive your salvation, God. He didn't say, oh, I, I have now seen one of several possible ways to find you, God. No, he said, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. 
And so Simeon implied here what we know the, the Bible clearly teaches elsewhere. The, the, the means of salvation is very narrow. In other words, the way that you and I get saved is as narrow as Jesus himself. And Jesus himself is the one who said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's, that's pretty narrow. And those who first became Jesus' followers, they, they never expanded that essential narrowness. The great Christian leader Peter put it like this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And he was talking about Jesus, Jesus alone. You know, we, we live in a culture, folks, that desperately wants to make the means of salvation very broad. And we have confused the blessing of religious tolerance with the lie that all religions are equally true. And you know, you, we, we regularly hear statements such as, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Really? Or, well, you know, all religions believe pretty much the same thing. Just pick one. Or, you know, what, what really matters is, is uh, that you're a good person who tries your best. And folks, the, the, the thing is that most people in our culture, and sometimes even folk who attend church, just kind of nod along in agreement. Yeah, that's right. And yes, of course, we should be thankful that we live in a country where people can practice whatever form of religious faith or lack of faith they choose. But that does not mean that every object of faith is true or valid. And Jesus and Scripture make it very clear. You can't find God by following the Buddha. You can't find God by following the teachers of Muhammad. You can't find God by following Krishna. You can't find God either by realizing your own essential divinity in some sort of New Age type of way. You can't find God by, by trying hard to be a good moral person. I was interested just to see this week. 30% of Americans have no religious affiliation, according to recent polls. Well, you know, you can't find God by never pursuing God either. It doesn't work that way. You find God exclusively by following Jesus and only Jesus. And Simeon nailed it. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. And Jesus alone is the means of your salvation and mine. It's that narrow, folks. He was placed in a cradle on Christmas Day so he could grow up and die on a cross on Good Friday and be raised to life on Easter Day. And when he rose from the dead, he purchased a place in heaven for every person who will put his or her trust in him alone. All that God is, 
all that he offers you and me comes through one very narrow means. Jesus. Jesus. The year was 1937. John Griffith took his eight-year-old son, Greg, to work with him that day so that Greg would have an idea of what his dad did for a living. And, uh, oh, Greg was excited to go because uh, his dad, John, operated one of those drawbridges across the Mississippi River. And he was excited to see how his dad would make that bridge go up and down. He controlled it because, you know, dad was a mighty person. <laughs> so, you know, they enjoyed the morning together. And um, around noon, John put the drawbridge up. That would allow boats that were on the river to go underneath it unimpeded and he knew that there was not a train that would be coming to cross the bridge for a while so he and Greg went out to an observation deck and they sat down they opened and enjoyed a sack lunch together and John told Greg all kinds of stories while Greg listened in rapt attention all of a sudden they heard a train whistle blow. And John realized that it was the 107, the Memphis Express, that was approaching the Mississippi River to go over the drawbridge that, that he controlled. Well, he knew that he had plenty of time to get to the control room, um, so, uh, but he needed, he needed to move along. So... Uh, he told his son to stay there on the observation deck. He'd come back and they would, they would continue their conversation and their lunch afterwards. So he, he hurried along, went into the control room, and he put his hand on the lever that controlled the up and down motion of that drawbridge. He put his hand on the lever and he looked, he looked down, he looked on both sides of the bridge to make sure that there was not a, a boat coming underneath it. And then he looked down, straight down underneath the bridge to see if there was a boat that was underneath the bridge. That's when John Griffith saw something that made his blood freeze. You see, his son Greg had decided to follow his dad to the control room instead of staying on the observation deck. And somehow along the way he had slipped and he had fallen down into the big box that held those monstrous gears that operated that drawbridge. And he could see from where he was sitting up there in the control room that his son's left leg was caught between the two main gears that operated the drawbridge. Well, now, now panic filled John Griffith's heart. Tears filled his eyes. 
He looked around at what, 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 what could he do? There was a rope hanging there in the, in the control room. Could he, could he use that? Could he throw that to his son in order to rescue him? And he realized as soon as he had the thought that he didn't have time, the train whistle blew again. And um, now John could hear the clickety-clack of the train wheels on the track. The Memphis Express with 400 passengers was approaching his drawbridge. At that moment, John Griffith realized he had an awful decision to make. 400 people on the Memphis Express. But that was his son, Greg, his only son trapped in that gearbox below him. And as the train approached the drawbridge, John made an awful but a right decision. He put his hand on that lever, knowing that when he did, it would crush his son, put his hands, or put his face in his arms, and he brought that lever down. And the Memphis Express made it across the Mississippi River. And as John was sitting there in the control room, he, he lifted his tear-smeared face and he looked through the windows of the control booth into the windows of the train as it passed him. And he could see men reading their newspaper. He could see a conductor looking at his pocket watch. He could see ladies sipping tea. He could see children pushing long spoons through scoops of ice cream. And he began to beat on the window of that control room. And he said, don't, don't you know what I've done? I've sacrificed my son for you. D don't you care? But no one saw and no one heard and no one knew and no one looked down to see what was in that gearbox below the bridge. And the Memphis Express just passed over on the other side of the Mississippi and it was gone. You know, sometimes I wonder, people that think that there are many, many different ways to God, just kind of pick one. You can pick your own. Do, do they really understand what an offense that is? What an insult it is to God himself. That if there was any other way for you and for me to have our sins forgiven, to have our relationship with God restored, to have the knowledge of eternal life given to us, that if there was any other way 
for us to receive that without allowing his son to be crushed by your sin and my sin and our rebellion against him. Don't you think God would have made that decision? You know, Rick, that, that story about John Griffith, that's, that's, that's pretty sobering six days before Christmas. <laughs> Is it? Is it really? Hmm. You and I were in a predicament, and God took the initiative to put on humanity in his son Jesus so that he could grow up to die on a cross and be raised again so that our sins can be forgiven, our relationship with him restored, and we can receive the gift of eternal life. And my friend, you will never understand the cradle of Jesus until you understand and see behind it, above it, around it, the cross and the empty tomb. No one has been saved, is saved, or will ever be saved by any other means than Jesus, the Christ. The message of salvation very wide. The meaning of salvation, very deep. The means of salvation, very narrow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Christians of all people, we, we, should, we should enjoy this season of the year because we really do know the reason for the season. And yes, we can enjoy the lights and the laughter and, and just the happiness that the Christmas season brings. We can enjoy our families and great food and, and just being together. But Lord, in the midst of that, we remember that the message of salvation is very wide, the meaning of salvation very deep, and the means of salvation very narrow. We thank you for Jesus. Plain and simple. We thank you for Jesus. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. 
If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.